Welcome to the Answer Religious Era Show. My name is Brian Garlock. Today I'm your host. I'm filling in for Chris, who normally hosts on Tuesdays. I was told, or at least this was his excuse, that he had to babysit his granddaughter. So I guess that's a pretty good excuse. But I'll be filling in for him today as he is off with family and appreciate all the things that he does for the Answering Religious Era show. This is our series that we are currently doing called Why I Believe. And so we'd encourage you, if you haven't been following us, to follow us on Facebook, but also to check out our YouTube and Facebook page for the archived videos where we have dealt with other topics uh, besides, besides the ones that we're going to deal with today, uh, which is uh, why I believe that Jesus is the only way. And ultimately, that is the only way to God the Father, the only way to heaven, and so on. And so uh, in just a few minutes, we'll be dealing with that. But if uh, there are some things you're struggling with, maybe uh, the resurrection of Jesus, perhaps uh, did Jesus really exist or is God uh, the true God of or the, the God of Israel? Is he the true God of uh, the Bible? Is the Bible the inspired word of God? All these kinds of uh, doctrines and beliefs that uh, Christianity as a whole uh, discusses and believes in. Uh, so if you're struggling with those things, we would encourage you to check out all the archived videos where we have dealt with um, several of those topics. We'd also invite you to uh, listen to Mark Dunnigan. He is on the show today, and he is the host of The Daily Answer on Mondays through Friday at 5 a.m. Eastern Time. And so uh, we appreciate the work that he does there as he uh, delivers for about 20 minutes every morning uh, some just some things to think about. He gives you the answer. He motivates you as you strive throughout the day to serve Christ. And so we appreciate that show. And uh, we'd encourage you to subscribe to um, that show. You can search for The Daily Answer or uh, Answering Religious Air on all major podcast platforms. And you'll be able to find that show as well as this current one uh, after we air live on uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, gentlemen, it is good to see each and every one of you today. Uh, We've got Nick, Mark, Jared, and Brian. Uh, Brian is never on Tuesdays, I don't think. Are you? I don't. Yeah, you're not. Uh, neither is Jared. So neither am I. And I don't. Uh, Nick is not always on. So we've got a whole new uh, panel uh, today as we discuss this topic. But any uh, comments before we get started with uh, Mark running the show here? Brian, it, it's great to see you. Great. Uh, and you guys, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule. It's like a, it's a championship team. It's a group of individuals that have come together and destined, destined for greatness. That's all I can say, Brian. Absolutely. All right, uh, Jared, let's uh, start with a word of prayer, if you don't mind leading us in that. Okay, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful to thee for this day. We're so thankful for the uh, technological advances we have such as this where we can uh, talk about God's word and uh, do it together over such a large uh, span of space and yet at the same time uh, be very close and and discuss these things and learn from thy will so thankful for the Bible so thankful for the truth that is there revealed and for its timeless nature so thankful for the fact we can be here uh, together like this to, to talk about thy word and pray that much and everlasting good comes from this work and pray for those that's sick that, and those bereaved loss of loved ones and those that's hurting in various ways that you'd bless and help them as well please bless us as we continue in this study that that uh, will point uh, everyone uh, everyone will be pointed to thee pointed to christ that we might uh, prepare for home in heaven one day and ask all these things in the name of thy son jesus amen 
Amen. Appreciate that. Go ahead, uh, Mark, take us away. Well, welcome to everyone out there listening. Welcome, America. Welcome, the world, to the show today. It's uh, here uh, broadcasting live from the Shenandoah Valley, which was considered the breadbasket of the South. Here between the Alleghenies, looking at West Virginia, on the other side of me would be the Blue Ridge Mountains, Skyline Drive, and Shenandoah National Park right outside Luray, Virginia, and Luray Caverns. And uh, just an amazing area, about 100 miles from D.C., and a lot of things to see. And we got some great questions today. And we want to take a look at, Brian, that first question that's going to bring up. And what we want to talk about, the overall thought of um, Jesus, the only way. And there's a number of people in our culture, probably have always been a number of people throughout time, that really do not like the idea that Jesus is the only way, that there's only one path. Jesus himself would say, narrow is the way that leads to life. Few be there, that few be those that find it, Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. But this first question I want to talk and tackle kind of like, is it arrogant to claim? Is it arrogant to claim? that Jesus is the only way. And by only way, we're talking about the only way to favor with God, the only way to um, a good eternal life versus a bad eternity. Gentlemen, what do you have? Well, whenever you talk about Jesus being the only way and the arrogance behind, or is it arrogant or so forth, I guess to, to ask that kind of a question kind of has folks looking inward and really, and this is going to be developed, uh, I know as we continue. So, but it's, it's not that I'm claiming Jesus is the only way. It's not that I personally, or that Nick or Brian or anyone here in this panel is personally claiming that uh, just without evidence, just your own will or your own thoughts about it. it Jesus claimed it for himself. And whenever he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, verse 6, Jesus is making that claim. And there's other passages, obviously, that fits this, but I'll just focus here for a moment. It's, it's not an arrogant thing on my part to repeat the words of Christ. And it's, it's interesting that uh, a lot of times that's kind of the way people treat you. Uh, or you, uh, another example of this is whenever you uh, maybe read Mark 16, 16 to somebody, just read the verse. And then someone says, well, that's just your opinion. Well, it can't just be my opinion. I just read the verse to you. And again, it's not an arrogance for me to claim something. It's Jesus stated it. And then I repeat it. He is the only way. And there's uh, factors in life we'll get into that, that show it or prove it. But it's not an arrogance because it wasn't my claim. It's what I am would tell the world, so far as that's concerned. So, uh, so I think um, something we should consider about this is that it's not an arrogant statement to make. It's really the most loving thing that we could say to someone that Jesus is the only way. And let me kind of backtrack to set this up to get to the point of where I can say it's the most loving thing. You have Jesus who died on behalf of humanity. So that was right there an act uh, that call that was required. Humility was required. And he gave up himself for all of humanity. So when Jesus makes that statement, 
you can't charge him with arrogance, especially with his willingness to die for us. Then on top of that, if Jesus was to make that statement and it only benefited himself, okay, there might be a case that could be made, an argument could be made. Well, Jesus is just arrogant. He wants followers. He wants popularity, whatever the case may be. But when Jesus makes that statement, it is actually benefiting us. It's benefiting mankind uh, because of the situation, the sin problem that we have. So again, uh, the statement that he makes, it benefits us. Then behind that statement that he makes, that he is the only way, he died on the cross for our sins. Uh, so right there, you can't charge the one who made that claim with arrogance. But then you take that one step further and, and you ask, well, why would he even say the words, follow me, or I am the only way to the Father, or no man can come to the Father except through me? Why would he make that claim to begin with? And I think it's because that's reality. If he was to say anything less than those words, then he would be lying. So it's not an exaggeration. It's not an arrogant thing. It's not as if Jesus is full of himself to where he uh, makes that statement because he's looking for some kind of uh, earthly uh, human glory uh, from from people. Rather, he's making that statement because it's reality, it's truth. He cannot lie, and it's not arrogant because of the other foundation that we just laid that he was willing to lay down his life for us. Um, and so, in a way... It is, again, the most loving thing that he can say to us and the most loving thing that we as Jesus followers can say to others. Because if we don't make those claims and if he doesn't make those claims, we're really depriving people of salvation because you can only receive salvation through the one who laid down his life for all of mankind. You can only receive salvation from him. He is reality speaking here. The only way to the Father. And so if he doesn't make that claim, and if we don't parrot that claim and proclaim that claim to the world, then we are actually depriving people of forgiveness of sins, of eternity with God, relationship with their creator, uh, redemption, not just forgiveness of sin, but redemption of their corrupt character, because that's what sin does. It corrupts our character even. And, and so God is redeeming us only through Jesus. And so I, I think that someone who says, well, that's just an arrogant thing. You know, God's just full of himself. He doesn't, he does, that person doesn't understand that whatever God does when he requires worship, when he re requires glory, it is for our benefit. It is to draw us to him so that we are cared for. Our souls are cared for. And that is the most loving thing anyone can do. You know, it's, um, Brian kind of talked around this, um, but uh, it, let's just kind of make the clear statement about this. This isn't something that we're saying. Uh, we're not the ones claiming Jesus is the only way. Uh, Brian indirectly mentioned John 14 and verse 6. Jesus actually is the one that claims that. Uh, Jesus is the one who states he is the only way. Uh, and that's one of the characteristics about being a Christian or the way of Christ. The way of Christ is an exclusive way. Uh, one, of the, one of the consistent claims it makes about itself is that it is the only way. Uh, that one can be saved. It's the narrow way. It's the way that few people are on. These are all statements that are made about the way of Christ by Christ. And that's, you know, we we want to be people that express that. 
Now, why does the question come up? It's arrogant. Uh, and that is a popular view. That is a view that a lot of people, particularly Western mindsets, have. And the reason that that claim comes up is that in the last 20, 30, 40 years, there's been a shift in the way that people approach certain ways of thinking. It's, you know, you've heard the expression modernism and postmodernism. And one of the concepts of postmodernism is that truth is relative that there is no absolute truth, but truth is instead what you make of it. You hear people say it all the time, hey, this is my truth, you know, as though as though truth is fixated with each person. And if that was the case, then you might say, if somebody says this is the only way, well, that, that could be claimed to be arrogant. That's why people would say it's arrogant, is because they're caught up in a mindset of postmodernism. They probably don't even know that. Uh, they're not even aware that that's how they framed their thinking. Um, but the important point to understand, and and actually, Bob Myhan, in a comment just a second ago, kind of kind of touched around that too to say it's only arrogant if it's not true, is that truth is absolute. Um, for 2,000, 3,000 years, all philosophies have said truth is absolute. In fact, till the last 50 years, people would say truth is absolute. 50 years ago, if you if you uh, met somebody who who perceived things differently, you could have a debate with them. You could discuss the various aspects of what you believe, and you could. Uh, one of you could demonstrate the veracity of truth to another, but we lack that ability today. We don't seem to have those conversations anymore, in part because people say, well, that's what your truth is, and my truth is different. And the concept of it having an arrogance, uh, a, a sense of, of a pride in the idea, only could be possible if we can say that truth is relative. But if truth is absolute, and by the way, you know, modernism, uh, you might say, has the concept of truth is is absolute. And pre-modernism, which is probably where we fall into our category of thinking, which is to say that, that information is revealed to us, um, all of those things require truth to be absolute. We, we wouldn't have a, a, a science in this world today if we didn't say that truth is absolute. Well, I, I think the atom is, you know, made up of protons and neutrons. So I think the atom is made up of peanut butter. Uh, well, your truth, my truth, right? Nobody talks that way uh, when it comes to other matters. But when it comes to matters of spirituality, that's the mindset that most people put on. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because people don't even know uh, how foolish it is. And so, you know, it, it, it would only be arrogant to somebody who cannot see that truth is absolute. Amen. But what Jesus did say is very audacious. And I think we have to appreciate that. Uh, he said very, very many audacious things. And it did. He was accused of of the uh, arrogance and the pride in that sense. Uh, it's nothing new. If you go back to Mark chapter two, when he heals the paralytic uh, there, he is accused of, of something very similar. And so if you remember, uh, just kind of abbreviate the story. There's this man who's a paralytic. He's looked down through the roof and by his friends and they are uh, trying to get him. There's a crowd. And then he looks to the man and he says, uh, your sins are forgiven. Well, the Pharisees there, they were like, who is this man who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. And so they're calling him in their minds. They're calling him out for his arrogance there, uh, thinking that he's arrogant, but he is being audacious. And he sees their thoughts. And, and so uh, verse 8, it says, immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? And of course, both of those statements are equally easy to say, but one of them requires uh, 
evidence of being fulfilled where the other one, anybody can claim, anybody can be forgiven, but that doesn't mean that you are. Um, but if he says to the paralytic, take your bed and get up and walk, and he does, then that proves that when he says your sins are forgiven is true as well. So going back to this whole idea that we're saying, it's not arrogant when it is true. And so he does. Uh, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus is the real deal. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so it's not arrogant to say that he is the only way because he is the only way. And, and so uh, Brian mentioned a, a few minutes ago about the resurrection and, and how he brings life. The resurrection is key. Uh, this, the, that is the sign. Uh, that is the miracle that proves everything that he has said while he was on this earth. And, and when he was raised from the dead, that validated everything he said. And he, he uh, confirmed that he was indeed the Christ. If he is the Christ, then he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we are obligated and honor bound to follow him. And so, uh, yes, those are very audacious statements of our Lord, but they are very much true. And we need to take heed to them. Gentlemen, those are great observations. Let's wrap some of that up a little bit on that particular question. Great points made. We're not making the claim. This is not something that we're making up about Jesus. This is something that he said about himself. John 14, 6, John 8, 24. Acts chapter 14, verse 12. It's what the apostle said about him. There is salvation in no one else. Also, I think it's important to note that he backed up the claim with his teaching, with his miracles, and with the resurrection from the dead. So he backed up the claim. The other thing I think that we need to understand here is that Brian made a great point on postmodernism. Yet I think, you know, at the end of the day, you guys, I think there's a lot of people out there that buy into one way. It's not the correct way. And, and what I mean by that is if I would talk to people that were pro-abortion and say, hey, you guys, this idea of abortion being legal all the way up to birth, you guys are torturing and killing little kids. Okay. Because they can feel that, you know, I mean, ultrasound technology proves that that's a human being there. And instead of saying, Mark, you have a point, Mark, we can work with you. Mark, we're willing to they go, no, no, we're not moving our way or the highway. Homosexual movement. If we say to them, hey, go off and do your thing, but leave the kids alone. Leave the kids alone. Don't, don't try to get in there and corrupt the kids and sexualize the kids. Leave the kids alone. No, our way or the highway. I think there's a number of people out there, you guys, that even though they might argue that, oh, you think there's only one way, at the end of the day, they're pushing one way. And, and there's no room for any sort of compromise on that. They're pushing one way. And I think we need to kind of come to terms with that reality. Gentlemen, before we go to the next question, I, I think a question that I probably should have put in here is, why is Jesus the only way? And is it, some people consider it insulting to say Jesus is the only way is actually the insulting thing to say another way will just work work just as fine. Gentlemen, any thoughts on why is Jesus the only way? 
one thing that comes to my mind is that Jesus is the only way due to his very nature. Uh, you have not a, not a man, mere man, but you have God who, uh, John chapter one says, God came in the flesh. Uh, Philippians chapter two talks about this as well. Why Jesus is the only way is because there's only one who has that ability to, uh, as it were, uh, span the gap between us. He became first Timothy chapter two and verse five became our mediator. And as a mediator, he's one that knows about heaven and one who has, has lived among men and, uh, he has died upon the cross. He's offered that sacrifice. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one that, that is and has been sinless. So as to be that sacrifice, that sacrificial lamb, as he's called in John chapter one, again, book of Revelation talks about him. Chapter four talks about him being the lamb slain and, and on and on and on. But the, he's the only way because he fits so many categories. And, and uh, there's other men that want to talk here too. So I'm not going to uh, go through everything, but I mean, there's a lot of directions or a lot of, a lot of ways this is answered. And every time it's answered, it's answered with Christ. Uh, he's the only one that can fit uh, in those categories. No one else can. So, yeah. And I, I guess I would just throw one thing out there about you had uh, Luke chapter three that says that Adam was the son of God. Well, Adam failed. He rebelled against God. Then you have Israel, the nation of Israel, who is later on mentioned as um, the son of God, who, or, you know, he, he brought his son out of, out of Egypt. Well, Israel was to be a light to all the nations. Israel was to draw all nations to God. They failed because of their rebellion. Then you come to Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, who is also the Son of God. And he uh, does not rebel. Rather, he humbly submits to his Father. It was his will was to do the will of the Father. And in that submission, obviously, as Jared said, it went to the death on the cross for our sins. But in that submission, he, he proved himself uh, to be one who uh, well meets all those categories that, that Jared was mentioning a moment ago. And so when it's all said and done because of his submission, he is the only one who can actually uh, take care of us in our salvation. I really wanted to say what Jared said too, but uh, uh, let me just kind of build off of that a little bit to say this. One of the characteristics the Bible talks about the, the operation of all things is through the system of covenant. Um, you know, we, we understand God makes a covenant with mankind through Adam. Um, when, when Adam breaks that, the covenant's in default. And we see the Old Testament is a story of covenants in default. Uh, even the universe operates on a covenant. God, the Bible talks about the covenant God made I I as creation. Creation has to follow certain laws. Uh, there's certain expectations that come out of those uh, promises and those things. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's the case that this operation of a covenant is the fundamental idea. Even, even science is built on the idea that, that things are always going to continue the way that they are. Otherwise, you, you couldn't make predictions. You couldn't make calculations. Everything requires the covenant system. Well, the point of the covenant system is a new covenant can only be established if there's the death of the one that made the first one, which is a statement the Hebrew writer really hammers down for us. Jesus is the only way that can happen because only God in the flesh, as I said, building on what Jared said, only God in the flesh could die and put away the other covenant so that something new could be instituted. 
Um, that's why it's so it's so outrageous that somebody comes along and says, hey, we've got a new message from God, or we've got something else from God, or hey, we can go back to the old ways of going to God, and it's okay. Um, just a, a simple understanding of the idea of the nature of a covenant says that that's utterly impossible, that that's absolutely unacceptable, that the only way this could work, and this is one of those characteristics about the gospel that is a, this is the only way statement. The only way this could work is if the if the one that was the innocent party that made the first covenant were to die, then a new covenant could be instituted. So God has to die in the flesh in order for a new covenant to be established. This is the only way. Um, and so when Jesus says, I'm the only way, uh, and he talks about the fact that it's going to be through his body that this is going to be accomplished, he's going to die. Um, all of this is 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 making this exclusive claim about Christianity that these guys have, you know, Brian built on it too. Um, that these guys are saying that th th this is it, and there's there's utterly no way since then that could be construed uh, because of the nature of that unique sacrifice. And what what religion has a God who dies for his people like Jesus uh, and then resurrects from the dead? Uh, never to die anymore. But uh, go ahead, Nick. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, and plus I uh, probably uh, run the risk of beating a dead horse here, but I wanted to share real quickly the uh, passage out of Revelation chapter 5, where there is this uh, the scroll with the seven seals, and nobody is worthy to break these seals. And, and so there's this, um, there's this sense of uh, trepidation, uh, sadness, like there's nobody worthy. But yet uh, he is given encouragement. Uh, it says in verse four that he began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain. And you purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And it's just a beautiful passage to grasp the, the love and the grace and the mercy and, and the sacrifice of our Lord. And why is he worthy? Why is Jesus the only way? is because he is the one that sacrificed himself. And that goes back to what you said, Brian, uh, with a previous question. You know, if we don't teach this, we're, uh, we're robbing people of that hope and that peace that comes with that knowledge. Gentlemen, those are great points in answering that question, is that Jesus is God, God in the flesh. And we, we can't atone for our own sins. It's not that we can, well, I sinned and... Uh, I'll buy some organic vegetables and that will make up for that. that. That's not the way it worked or I'll help an old lady across the street. Not only that, but Bible makes it very clear that the blood of animals cannot remove our sins either. So I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't pay off my own sins. I, I can't do like extra credit for my own sins. Uh, the blood of animals don't cover my sins. And 
nobody, no human being can die for me because he or she, they have their own sins as well. And so that leaves Jesus who voluntarily came here and gave his life for us. And there's a number of like great passages that you brought up. Maybe another one would be Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Or how about Ephesians chapter one, where the father exalted Jesus and far above all rule, authority and power and every name that is named is that he is um, viewed as the savior of all men. First Timothy chapter two, uh, verses four through six one mediator he's the one mediator there would be another passage um when when i thought about this gentleman you know uh, a lot of people have it's it's they have the wrong response to this that they say no well it's arrogant it's arrogant to think that jesus is the only way no no it's arrogant to say that here is god god comes and dies on the cross and dies this horrific death and is scourged and crucified for our sins it, to me, it's arrogant to claim, you know what? You know what will work just as good? Being a nice guy, going to work every day, uh, taking my kids to soccer practice, uh, not killing anybody, having a job. You know what? That will get me to heaven too. I mean, it's like, wh what are you talking about? It's To me, to claim that you can be saved apart from Jesus Christ is to say basically that hit that your own kind of being a good person and nice guy will work just as well as God died upon the cross for you to get you to heaven. And I think that's an incredibly arrogant claim. That to me, I think is the arrogant claim to make. All right. Now, Brian, I want to take the next two questions because I think they're really the same question. That is, I really want to take that next question primarily do all religions teach the same thing? That, that's kind of what I really want to look at, because I think the one I had right before that is really the same basic question. Um, and, and, I, and you know what? Maybe the denominations are really to blame for a lot of this, you guys, because I think when I grew up, you know, sometimes in the denominations, you don't hear a whole lot about, you don't hear a lot of gospel. You hear a lot of philosophy sometimes and be nice and this and et cetera. And, kind of this very generic, this very generic sort of be a good person thing. And maybe a lot of the denominations are to blame for this misunderstanding that, well, I went to this group and I went to that group and I went to this group over here. And I heard the same generic, bland, bland, generic sort of message. And it's like, okay, but you didn't hear the gospel because <laughs> there's nothing bland about the gospel. Gentlemen, what do you have on this particular question? Well, there, what you touched on already, do they teach basically the same thing? Well, a lot of denominations will teach basically the same thing, but I don't know. I kind of, I kind of back up from there. Uh, people who don't really understand Christ, people who do not understand the, true concept of what's going on in the New Testament. I'm afraid what they do is take this type of a position and they say, you know, it's all the same. You know, you, you have commandments and, uh, you know, be nice and treat each other well and, you know, try to get along and everything. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, do the best you can. And then there's some kind of eternity nirvana some type of uh, utopia 
type situation that's promised because you know all religions and i'm i'm talking about beyond just western type things even the eastern cultures and whatever and folks kind of they want to put this into some type of a box and just say well it's all basically the same you do the best you can like i said and then you'll get you'll get to utopia or whatever and and if you don't uh, you'll burn for a while or uh you know some people just say you go to sleep and annihilated and so that's the one i'm going to uh, sign up for that. Uh, if I can't make it, I'd rather be annihilated anyways, you know, and uh, <laughs> that way you don't feel anything. And the, the I mean, we'll go back to that arrogant thing. Uh, that's, there's, there's where your arrogance comes in because it's not even considering what Jesus really did. Um, with Jesus, it's different. And I forget now who said it, but somebody made the point about no other religion will your God die for you. And that's true. And no, none other do you see one that's Jesus coming and, and he says, you know what, here's how much I love you. I will go ahead and die and in my death make it possible for you to be saved and for you to be in heaven with me. And, in, and Jesus uh, spoke of hell more than anyone else. Uh, evidently he wanted to warn us about something. <laughs> evidently he wanted to warn us about something that you don't need to go to and you need to stay away from just as much as he tells us about this wonderful place that is. But the the third thing, or maybe the first thing is, he also is teaching us how to get along right now. And there's not a lot of religions that really teach you how to get along right now. Um, we want to, you know, have some platitudes on that. But I mean, really, how do you get along? Well, you treat your, you love your neighbors yourself. That's how you do it. Husbands and wives, uh, husband, love your wife as your own body. Wife, respect your husband. And you start going down the list of things that's been said, that's been taught. And no, they don't teach the same thing. And, and especially in, in my view, I'm talking about Eastern religions. I'm talking about, they don't teach the same thing. Woman... Uh, the woman is a second-class citizen oftentimes. The woman is just our property and so forth. That's not the way God treats you. That's not the way Christ treats uh, women. And you just start going down the list of, of specifics and you go, you know what? The religion of Christ really is a lot different. It's not the idea of, well, uh, you five men I'm looking at on the screen right now, uh, you have your Western religion and then uh, you, you worship your Western God. And then we've got our own God. Uh, it's it's not the same. And so we need to, whenever we start opening up and, and uh, looking into what really Jesus did and said, it's, it's an amazing thing to consider uh, how truly different the religion of Christ is over any other religion. And the simplicity of it, too. You know, if there was one group that could claim to be on a path that is leading to God uh, outside of Christ, it would be the Jews, uh, because they had the law of Moses. They had the truth there during that time. And, and so what we find in uh, instead, though, in Romans chapter 10, we see that Paul makes it very clear that their pursuit of their righteousness as understood as a Jew is not sufficient. 
so he says there in verse one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, he's referring to the Jews, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according, uh, not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they do not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And of course, we know what the righteousness of God is. It's Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And he goes on in that text. He says, you must confess with the mouth that Jesus is, is the Lord. Uh, you must believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. And he says that, have they not heard? Of course they've heard, but they have not believed. And, and so it, it's very interesting to see that the one group that, uh, that one religion outside of Christianity that could claim that they were on a path to God or that they were teaching the same thing uh, would be the Jews, but yet they are coming up short. They must surrender to, to Jesus uh, and, and they must confess him with their mouth in order to be saved. They have a zeal for, for God, but it's not based upon knowledge. I don't know if I can add anything that's uh, really too substantial other than to say this is this is a, a statement that's usually made by somebody who's utterly ignorant of religion. And I don't just mean true religion. Um, I mean all religion um, because, you know, the, the Middle East doesn't war because everybody basically teaches the same thing. You know, the Shiite and Sunni aren't at each other's throats because they're more or less teaching the same thing. They're not uh, at war in Kashmir and India because Islam and, and Hinduism are more or less the same thing. Uh, it, it's really it, it's really a, a nonsensical statement to make that all religions basically teach the same thing. But again, it's both a statement made out of ignorance and it's also a statement made out of a mind that doesn't really uh, hold much of anything to be very true or to be very uh, concrete or this idea um, and it's been said already, maybe it's worth saying one more time, that Jesus taught things that nobody had ever taught. Um, that's a repeated statement. I, I often like to say that when Paul says in Galatians, uh, kind of building on what Jared said, when, when Paul says in Galatians 3.20, you know, uh, that, you know, there's neither male nor female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, you're all one in Jesus Christ. That was the most radical statement in history. Uh, nothing like that had ever been said. Nobody had ever said something like, hey, did you know, we're basically all the same. Uh, you know, of course, in, in the 21st century, a lot of people would would say that oh i understand that to be true but you know paul says it 2000 years beforehand i mean the things of the new testament were radical and there's still things that are radical and nick said that earlier too that the, you know a lot of the things that jesus teaches even now are things that the world just can't stomach um so ironically most people hate religion or hate true religion because it doesn't teach what they believe so this is really a bizarre statement and it's bizarre so many people would probably say that. They would probably say something like, well, all religions are more or less the same. Um, and that's an absolute statement out of ignorance, a, a lack of understanding of, of most of any kind today. Brian, that's a great point. You know, it's interesting. There were religions on the face of the earth when Jesus showed up. So if everything's cool, if other things work just as good, whatever, then why do we need to show up? Why do we need the gospel? Why do we need the new covenant, etc.? The other thing, Brian, great point is that, wait a minute, if they're just all teaching the same thing, why are they at, they at each other's throats? Why have wars been fought over this, etc.? And also, if you really study them, you realize, ooh, these are way far apart. Uh, one of the statements that Paul made in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
uh, in the section like verse 20 and following, Paul did not say, you know, we believe in Jesus and our neighbors out there worship these different idols. And you know what? We're just all serving the same God. Paul says, no, they're serving demons. And that's why I don't want you to go to the idol's temple and et cetera, because what they sacrifice, they're sacrificing the demons. And um, they're, they're just groups out there. I mean, there are groups out there that deny Jesus died upon the cross, that deny he's the son of God, uh, that obviously deny he was raised from the dead, etc. And um, and not only that, but modern day Judaism is not even found in the Old Testament. That is, it is not the religion of the Old Testament. It, it is something that, well, since we don't have the temple and the priesthood and the sacrificial system, since all of that got removed, but we still want to keep what we're, we still want to be who we are. We don't want to be Christians and make the move that God wants us to make. We'll just make up a whole bunch of our own rules now. So final question though, final question there. Uh, that we need to take a look at in, on today's show. Um, did Jesus ever address, address the issue of, was there a, and I should have put this word in there, was there a viable plan B to him dying upon the cross? Did that ever come up? What do you have, gentlemen? Is this Okay, is, that, is this question talking about uh, like how people uh, claim that the church is Plan B? Is that what we're trying to get at in this question? Or no, Nick, I think it would be like his death. What was was there a way for man to be saved apart from him died upon the cross? I guess that would was there a viable path to the Father apart from him sacrificing his life? Uh, no. Does that, that, that ever was come up? Do, do you, does, is is uh, is there any hint of that? Is that ever addressed in anything he said, or like you know? I, I guess what I'm saying is that Jesus says, you know, we had all these different plans, and we just decided to go with this particular plan. I think when you look through the scriptures, this this plan was from eternity, and you go to Genesis chapter three. Of course, our uh, Bible begins they're talking about Adam and Eve but here was God's promise that through her seed he says and we'll put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed he shall bruise or crush thy head he said you're going to bruise his heel and from here forward throughout the prophecies over 300 336 I think or I get that number wrong but at least well over 300 prophecies all pointing to Christ and the things he was going to do. Uh, it never was a, a, a plan B in that sense because uh, not always going to crush his heel, or sorry, crush Satan's head. But then as you go on, he's going to be a king. He is going to, uh, you know, have this kingdom that shall never uh, pass away. Daniel 2, 44, uh, even to the point in Zechariah talks about the betrayal money, 30 pieces of silver. And even to that specific, that's what I like to get into a lot of times is just how specific God is. Uh, Isaiah talks about, uh, of course, in Isaiah 7, 14, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Very specific. It didn't say that there's this woman that's going to have a baby. You know, it didn't even say a woman had a son. Behold, a virgin's going to have a son. And so if you, uh, you know, through the annals of time, if you go through and, and see a woman having a baby, that's not it. 
But even if you found a virgin that had a baby girl, she's not it. She has to have a boy. And then, uh, you know, like I said, 30 pieces of silver. And 30 is, you know, one more than 29 and one less than 31. You've got to have 30 pieces of silver, not gold. And not, you know, seashells or whatever currency, tulip bulbs or whatever currency you want to talk about. And so uh, all the way through, there's never been that plan uh, B in that sense. And so even when Jesus was on the earth, how many times did he tell his apostles, though they didn't believe him all the time, how many times did he say, uh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be you know, nailed to a cross, and three days I'm going to resurrect. I mean, he said that multiple times while, uh, you know, while preparing them for that inevitable result. And so did Jesus ever say there's a plan B in this? Well, not really at all. Uh, Some want to suggest maybe in the prayer that he prayed in the garden. But even at that, it wasn't saying, all right, Lord, I'm ready for plan B. Or it wasn't, okay, now it's time for something else. It was, uh, thy will be done. And he knew the will was going to be done. That's that's what we're going to do. Uh, it been from eternity. So anyway, that it's just that that part of things is just so so clear. I hope folks can see that as you as you read the New Testament. Jared, you make a good point, at, and the audience needs to appreciate this: that from the book of Genesis, chapter three, it's been the same plan. That is, one is coming to crush the head of the serpent. One is coming to die for our sins. Isaiah 53, you see that. And Isaiah 9, you see that. And all the prophecies in Psalm 22 and his hands and feet pierced, etc. And then when Jesus comes, he says, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. And also Ephesians chapter 3, I'm reminded on Nick's observation about the church, is that the church, which is the body of Christ, the body of the saved, is in God's eternal purpose, uh, that this has been the plan all along from, and, and not only that, but Jesus is spoken of as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I mean, and, and it's almost like there's nothing else on the docket here. And I do think, Jared, I th- do think you, uh, the point in the garden when Jesus prayed, if it's possible remove this cup and the cup's not removed, that tells me that to the audience out there, if Jesus doesn't die upon the cross, you're doomed. You're doomed. Without his death, you're doomed. And I think we need to appreciate that. I think we need to appreciate that uh, that's how bad our sins are. It took the blood of the Son of God to atone for them and to make sure we don't downplay our sins. Gentlemen, you have other observations. You know, um, one thing I always think about, did Jesus ever address the issue? Uh, you know, if you asked a lot of people, hey, was Jesus, you know, was he specific one way? Uh, you, you grab the man on the street kind of thing. They're going to say, oh, Jesus loved everybody. Jesus loved sinners. Jesus never, you know. In fact, if Jesus, you know, how many times do we see the meme or have we even in, like, you know, ARE and question and answer talked about a meme that shows Jesus uh, really upset with Christians that are that are uh, saying things and being intolerant or things like that. And and it's just it makes me want to pull what's left of my hair out to say that 
Jesus was absolutely intolerant. Um, that, that Jesus doesn't, you know, John 3, 16 doesn't say that God so loved the world that he left it just like it is because he didn't want to change anything. Uh, you know, it's trying to say to us that God, uh, that God looks at the world and, and is willing to do whatever he can to make things different because it's unacceptable the way it is. Jesus is the definition of intolerant and narrow-minded. And Jesus gives us terms that say he's narrow-minded. He says, my way is the narrow way. It's straight and narrow. It's, you know, the, the concept of straight and narrow is a concept uh, that people, you know, nobody likes that term anymore. And the, the idea that Jesus could have been anything else is so contrary to the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus was intolerant. Um, Jesus says, if you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sins. That's pretty intolerant. Jesus says, if you don't obey me, you're not going to come to my kingdom. That's pretty intolerant. Jesus says, if you don't confess me before men, don't expect me to confess you. Pretty intolerant. Uh, Jesus even says, if you reject those whom I sin, talking about his apostles, he says, you're rejecting me. That's pretty intolerant. Jesus, Jesus was consistently saying that there's a, there's a singular way. I'm it. My way is it. And you have to conform to it. You don't get to choose different aspects. We're not going into McDonald's and saying, I'll have this and that. And, you know, you're getting, you're getting what God has prepared for you. And it's what you need. But the whole point of Christianity isn't that it, we make it conform to us. It's that we conform to it. And the point of uh, our truth is that or the, tr the truth is that you don't get to make it our truth. You don't get to say it's what we want it to be. We're, the five of us aren't saying what we're saying because we each said, hey, this is what I like the best. We're saying, hey, here's the truth. I got to get on that train. Um, because it's leaving town and there's not uh, there's not a lot of different paths to heaven. There's only one road. There's only one path. Uh, I always like the, you know, people say there's a lot of different roads to heaven. I say, well, let's try that with any other place. You know, here in Portland, there's one road to Seattle. You know, you're going to go north. You know, you're not going to say, oh, I'll go east and end up in Seattle. Well, you're you're a dipstick. You know, that's the truth of the matter. You're not going to get there. Can I say the same thing about heaven? I'll just take whatever path I want to get there. When Jesus died to be the only way, outrageous. Brian, you make a great point. And, and there are so many other areas in life like that, mathematical problems. There's not a million right answers. Not only that, but how you put something together as far as you order something from Amazon, it needs to be assembled. It's, it's not a list of directions that say, now there's multiple ways that you could put this together, but rather it's step one, step two, step three, step four, there's a specific way that you put it together. And how much more, how much more do we realize when it comes to with your soul being on your line and the eternity being on the line, that is just kind of do it any way you want? That doesn't make any sense. Any other observations, gentlemen, as we close out this particular episode of Answering Religious Error? I was glad I was able to be on the show today and I haven't been on the Tuesday shows in a long time. So that was fun, but looking Brian, forward to were, tomorrow's Q and a. Yep. You were a great addition today. You're a great addition. It was great to see everyone on the show. And uh, well, again, thank you. If, gentlemen, I, if, I may, if I may say anyone who fills in for Chris Kramer is a great addition, right? Are, are we right? Nick, you agree with me here? Can y'all help me out? 
It's all uphill from there, right? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, we stayed with Chris and his wife, and Chris was an amazing host. Cooked us breakfast, and I think even went and got like his favorite sausage for us for breakfast. So just all America, all America, just feel free to show up at Chris Kramer's house, and he's an amazing host. Did he did he sing to you though? Um, I don't. I don't think Chris sang. I tell you what, Terry Benton, Terry Benton got out his guitar and harmonica, and Terry sang. Yeah. Well, you need you need to get Chris to sing uh, for you next time. All right. I guess that's everything for today. Appreciate you guys, and uh, looking forward uh, to Brian and and Nick and Mark. To uh, yeah, Nick, are you gonna be on tomorrow? Do you know? Okay. Yeah. For tomorrow's Q and a. So if you have a Bible question, be sure to email us questions at answering That is the best way to get a hold of us. We'll take your Bible questions and we'll answer them live on air. We go live every Wednesday at 12 PM Eastern time. You can also private message us facebook.com slash answering religious error. And um, we go live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and then podcast right after the show. This has been our Tuesday live Bible interactive study. You can interact with us and appreciate those who tuned in today. We do go live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time for that study on the Why I Believe series. And then uh, let's not forget Monday through Friday is the Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan. Also, we have a show for the ladies. It is the Older Women Likewise. That show airs live on Facebook and YouTube every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. They are also on podcast. And then Bob, who was not with us today, uh, Bob's Bible Basics. He goes live every Monday at 8 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook. So be sure to check out him as he gives us the basic breakdown of the scriptures. That's all the time we had for today. Appreciate you tuning in. Look forward to answering your questions tomorrow on our live Bible Q&A. God bless.